0: Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and this is episode number 367. As part of our Smithsonian Associates Her Story Author Interview Series, we are joined today by author, journalist, visionary leader, Dorothy Butler-Gilliam. Dorothy Butler-Gilliam will be appearing at the Smithsonian Associates program July 9th, 2019, and the title of her presentation is Getting the Story Right. Dorothy Gilliam is that most rare of revolutionaries, one who not only climbs the barricades, but lets down the ladder to help others up too. In her more than six decades at the centers of journalism in New York and Washington, She has often been the first African-American woman and the best of everything. Her memoir shows us that a few can be both, but no one should have to. Gloria Steinem says of Dorothy Butler-Gilliam, "'We will have no democracy until each of us can be "'our unique individual selves.'" I found Dorothy Butler-Gilliam to be candid, with quiet strength, elegance, a visionary leader, and an honored journalist. Dorothy Butler Gilliam's inspirational life story in her new memoir, which we'll hear her read from in just a moment, is the journey of a daughter of the South who became a pioneer black woman journalist, an influential voice in the pages of the Washington Post, a national leader of the movement to foster diversity in the news media, and a dedicated mentor of countless aspiring young journalists. It is also the story of her role in a remarkable era of growth and influence. From JFK, MLK, the Civil Rights Movement, and many other monumental changes, all of which made for Dorothy Butler Gilliam's writing and storytelling inside a leading American newspaper now evolving in the digital age.
1: When I arrived in Washington, D.C. in 1961, the city, the entire country, and the African continent were all on the threshold of change. The dashing young John F. Kennedy had just begun his presidency, promising, quote, a new frontier, close quote. The civil rights movement was kicking into high gear with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. now urging young people like me to pursue professions we've been excluded from and to excel. It was thrilling to be in the nation's capital begin my career as a daily newspaper journalist in the white press.
0: That, of course, was our guest today, Dorothy Butler-Gilliam, reading from her new book, Trailblazer, a pioneering journalist's fight to make the media look more like America. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better show via internet phone, author, journalist, visionary leader, Dorothy Butler-Gilliam. Ms. Dorothy Butler-Gilliam, wow, what a pleasure it is to be talking to you. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be with you.
0: And I'm so happy to be talking to you. Your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation is going to be really spectacular. I have to say that just right up front. I'll I'll gush a little bit about you. But why don't you tell us briefly about what you'll be talking about there at the Smithsonian Associates program.
1: Well, I'm interested in talking about uh, my work at the Washington Post as a reporter, as an editor, as uh, a person who was able to uh, help begin new organizations uh, to increase the uh, number of people of color in the media, I would like to just see so many people there from the Washington area, because that's where I did most of my work, and I I look. Uh, forward to uh, seeing them at this
0: event. We certainly look forward to seeing you there. And I, I have to kind of go back to uh, your your term, kind of almost bringing people of color into uh, the, the media and into uh, reporting and into news. There was a great deal of racism in that time, in 1961. You've read a passage from your book. There were challenging moments. I think for some in my audience, they'll remember that quite well. But it's difficult maybe to put some of that racism into perspective today. And in particular, you tell this wonderful story about catching cabs of all things and and your ability to go out and get stories and report on them, that that stood out to me because today with Uber and Lyft and all kinds of transportation options so available, I guess it's hard to grasp for many that, that that wasn't the case for you then. So, tell us about maybe that experience.:
1: Yes, one of the uh, most important things for a journalist, a daily newspaper journalist, is to get your one's assignment in the morning, go out and write the story, and come back in, get it ready for deadline so that it's printed the next day now th- that's the usual story. There are of course many longer feature stories where things are different, but Uh, essential to that process was catching taxi cabs because uh, time was of the essence. And uh, I often, because of my race, I would stand out uh, near the corner of 15th and L where the Washington Post was located. And I would be frilling my arms trying to get a taxi. Um, Sometimes the taxi driver wouldn't be certain, uh, He'd get a little closer, and he'd see my dark skin face, and he would hit the accelerator to just tell that I was a person of color, and they were not going to stop. And um, so it was very challenging because uh, I knew that I had to get the story done. I had a, a bit of a secret weapon when I was an, a freshman and sophomore in a Catholic women's college in Louisville, Kentucky, where I where I came of age, I uh, learned shorthand. So I would sometimes be trying to uh, get back from my assignment after I finally caught a cab, finally got somebody feeling sorry for me and picking me up, Uh, but I would have to often just use that shorthand to, to start writing my story in order to make the deadline. And the reason the deadlines were so important, as I said, is that there were several different editions of newspapers then. And uh, if mine was the you know, the edition that uh, they told me. My, time, my story had to be in, complete, and ready on deadline. So uh, as the first black woman at the Washington Post, I also really knew that everything I did was being watched carefully and closely. I couldn't come back to the newspaper every day and say, to say that I couldn't get a cab. I could not, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. If I did that, it would be almost impossible for the next black woman to have been hired in any kind of similar time. So uh, a lot of the things that happened, I did not uh, come back and complain to my editors about, uh, but the taxi uh, problem was such a big one, uh, just trying to get to my assignments and then get back in time to write the story that was well done. And it was, you know, there were a lot of people who didn't want to eat lunch with me. Some of the colleagues that I saw and that was civil inside the building. If they saw me outside, they pretended they didn't know me because, mm-hmm. you know, that the whole, you know, white privilege, I guess, was so ingrained in them that uh, you know, they didn't want to be seen talking to a black person. So those things were were difficult. Uh, I, I rem- one thing I remember, um, I went, I was assigned to go to cover a, it was a like the hundredth birthday party of some white woman west of the park, and Washington was very a very racially segregated city in that and that at that time. And um, when I got to her door front, uh, I walked in, and there was a doorman there, and he said, "Oh, you can't get coming here. this is the, the maid's entrance is around the back." and uh, I very icily told him I wasn't a maid. And uh, he finally, you know, went in and talked to the guy at the desk and got the desk called upstairs. And he said, yes, they were expecting somebody from the Post. And so there were, these were the kinds of incidents that added to the stress of being the first black woman reporter at the Washington
0: Post. Interestingly, as I, as I looked through some of the research uh, on you, I found that one of the other challenges you faced was just criticism from editors having written stories about race, but you kept at it. So what was it that kept you focused on this subject? Because it was an important one. You wanted to tell stories about people of color other than just crime stories.
1: Well, it was very, very crucial that uh, this opportunity that I had be used to, um, you know, bring some, some new information into mainstream media. It just wasn't, uh, it just wasn't being done. It was, uh, blacks were, were just considered so inferior. Uh, and it, it was part of the American DNA, I guess, because it, it just felt like, uh, even when I wrote stories about, about black people and other people of color, they would say, um, you know, all you write about is race. And I'd say, well, what's wrong with that? But I'm not really only writing about race. I'm writing about different people who are doing many different things. They just all seem to be people of color. Uh, And um, this was uh, one of those, those challenges that many reporters even now, I think, sometimes face. So it's an ongoing issue uh, that um, uh, especially when dealing with white editors that many uh, black reporters feel like their ideas, you know, were not being accepted. Uh, I continued to do it because I was able uh, to get a column, a regular column in the metro section of the post. And I really didn't have to go through an editor. At that time, I know I had many opinions that they, uh, the editors didn't like, but I, I appreciated, you know, people like Ben, Ben Bradley, who um, for all the years I wrote a column, you know, it was only one time that he uh, asked me to come into his office and, and he said, if I had seen it before it had gone into the newspaper, I would have asked you to rethink it. And um, but in general, uh, you know, I did not I was just able to withstand the criticism uh, until you know all they could do was, all they could do was to fire me, you know, uh, but that didn't happen. And uh,
0: we're certainly glad that it did not happen. We are with Dorothy Butler, Gilliam. Dorothy Butler-Gilliam is talking to us about her remarkable career as the Washington Post's first black female journalist, which took place in 1961. Dorothy Gilliam will be at the Smithsonian Associates program Tuesday, July 9th, speaking about getting the story right. It's an evening program. There'll be a book signing, Dorothy Butler-Gilliam's excellent new book, which is, by the way, Ms. Gilliam is getting great rave reviews the title of which is trailblazer a pioneering journalists fight to make the media look more like america you write in the book that the community of black journalists helped sustain you were there other black women reporting the news did you have mentors maybe tell us a little bit about who they were and what family uh, sustained you and all the things that were done to along the way to kind of help you along
1: okay thank you well, um, there were not any other black women working at any of the white daily newspapers at the time. There, uh, there, were, uh, there was a, a black woman working for the Chicago Defender. She was the head of the Washington Bureau. Her name was Ethel Payne. And then there were also black journalists at Jet Magazine, Uh, which was a black weekly and I had really gotten my start in the black press when I was uh, 17 years old I got a job at the Louisville Defender working after my my college classes and it was during that time that I was allowed to go and do some stories Um, and when I saw the you know, it was so so exciting to even, you know, just meet new people in different in different um, parts of of Louisville, and then to see the small black middle class that Louisville had, and to write about them. And I think it was part of that experience that really hooked me on journalism at a very early age, because I saw journalism open doors to new worlds. So, uh, in terms of, but it was that work in the black press. Uh, I worked at JET for about two years. I worked at the um, Memphis Tri-State Defender, et cetera. So I knew people in Washington who worked for the black press. There was also the, the Afro-American Weekly News in Washington. So I knew people in the black press and yes, it was to them that I could go and and share some of my my uh, uh, challenges. So um, I was able to um, that that helped a lot. Now a part of I think my strength uh, in in terms of just enduring challenges and um, especially in those early years uh, came from my own upbringing. I just happened to be a sister's daughter. And um, uh, I, you know, I just came from a very. I uh, grew up in the segregated South. I came with age in Louisville, Kentucky. I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. So I, I, you know, really uh, knew what the yoke of, of, of segregation felt like. I saw it, you know, in terms of my my family. Uh, we even had to share crop for a little bit in my upbringing. Uh, So I talk about all of that in the book. And uh, so uh, one of the uh, things, though, that made all of the challenges so uh, possible was that black religious experience, that experience of, you you know, you're not what other people call you. You know, the white society can call you inferior, but you know that you're not. And uh, they they really uh, gave us such a, a sense of our own strength and our and faith in God and faith in ourselves that um, uh, in many ways, as I look back, I see that made a difference. It wasn't just the love and the and the strength and the and the faith in my father and my mother, which was very powerful, but it was also the, the uh, people who were members of my father's church and that's where I joined when I was probably just before my teen years. Um, and, um, but it, it was, it was very, uh, very, you know, inspiring experience despite the segregation and all of that because uh, there, you know, the, the, there was a spirit of sharing and loving and giving. I remember there's a man in our church who I think he worked as a janitor somewhere, but he also lived out in the country and he he planted all of his food and he'd have everybody to come out and get what they wanted. So I know he they would often bring food, you know, to my dad as well. So I think all of that um, was important in helping me uh, know that. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't have to be what other people thought I was. And I, I had to do what I thought was correct and, and right.
0: Ms. Gilliam, you also write in your, your book, your memoir, Trailblazer. And and you, you're you very candid about this. You, you had some struggles with depression and anxiety. And I wonder if you'd talk a little bit about some of those psychological pressures that that were upon you. Uh, as being the first and really the only black woman at the time in these uh, very white dominated spaces, the press
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it was it was really uh, necessary to uh, have you know therapy and to have somebody with whom you could speak that you know who really uh, um, had a faith that was similar to yours and you know that this knowledge that there's an incandescent in, in presence is bigger than you are that's helping you, and uh, and I have found that, um, uh, that you know the, the pressure uh, has, has been eased in many ways by talking to therapists it's a profession where you're really kind of on 24-7 and and you're responsible for your beat Twenty four seven, and very often there's a lot of disturbing news. So uh, I found that uh, you know therapy was very uh, helpful to me in you know, a personal strength
0: and power. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Let's jump ahead to today and talk a little bit about what I really felt was. A, uh, an important element in the book, and that is your very strong allusion and very pointed remarks about the role of press and, and the critical role that reporters play in today's democratic process. And it's very upbeat. And so I wonder, did you write that to remind all of us of that?
1: <laughs> well, it, it, I, I definitely did not know Uh, I started writing the book five years ago, (laughs) and uh, I certainly didn't know uh, about, you know, uh, what's currently happening in America, Mm -hmm. but as I have been fortunate to go uh, into several cities and parts of the country and talk about the book, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, being invited, uh, this subject comes up, you know, very often, Mm -hmm. and, and I feel it was, you know, almost providential to write about the The training that journalists go through to write about the ethics mm-hmm. that we that we uh, have to adhere to uh, that we had and I'm sure the same thing in the all the we know that current media landscape is very toxic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is not at all what you know what I, what it was when I was there, but um, I I I think there's. Such a crucial role in a in a uh, uh, country that is trying to be democratic. The media is strong. The media is fair. The media is accurate. There's emphasis on on telling the truth by telling both sides of the story, and uh, that this is uh, the kind of of information uh, if people can trust it that that really makes. You know, makes a nation strong. Uh, what I find, uh, you know, when I started hearing the, the the top leaders in the land talk about fake news and uh, calling reporters the enemy of the people, uh, you know, it was it was extremely disturbing because it did not only uh, weaken the democracy internally, but the world has looked upon America as this bastion of democracy, even though I knew that democracy was not equal but but when you have you know a top leader uh, who 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 you know denigrates it, then you know it it really weakens the whole nation and it it weakens it in the eyes of people all over the world. So, while it was not my intention or knowledge that, you know, what was gonna happen in 2017, I am, I hope what I share in terms of, uh, you know, the work at the Columbia Journalism Schools, the the, the process of learning how to write uh, in the news and how to analyze the importance of that news being representative of all the communities in, in America, um, so that the, the, the uh, leaders are getting a full picture all of that uh, I think is you know is really very, very crucial.
0: Well, we so appreciate your being so positive and your leadership and your being a, a role model. Well, Dorothy Butler-Gilliam, thank you so much for your generous time today. Thanks for all that you do. What a fascinating life. We will, of course, hear more from you on Tuesday, July 9th, when you speak at the Smithsonian Associates Program, title of which is Dorothy Gilliam on Getting the Story Right. Dorothy Butler-Gilliam has been our guest today. She's the author of the new book, Trailblazer, A Pioneering Journalist's Fight to make the media look more like America. The book will be available for sale and signing at the Smithsonian Associates event. We'll put links up to where you can find more information about Dorothy Butler-Gilliam as well as the book and all of Dorothy Butler-Gilliam's many contributions. We're so grateful for your leadership and your time today, Dorothy Butler-Gilliam, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks to Dorothy Butler-Gilliam, who will be appearing at the Smithsonian Associates Program July 9th, 2019. And the title of her presentation is Getting the Story Right. Ms. Gilliam will be at the Ripley Center in Washington, D.C. There will be more details available on our website. Thanks to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. And thanks to you, our wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Remember, talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody.